Welcome to The Kick in the Cast, the audio blog of a wannabe podcast novelist. My name's Chris, and this is Episode 7. Hello, and welcome back to The Kick in the Cast. I hope the past week was good to you and that you're all doing well. Today, we're continuing with Chapter 6 of Outcast, and things are going to start picking up now. If you're new to the show and want to hear the story from the beginning, check out episode 2 in your podcast feed. And of course, I'm also cross-posting this episode to my original Outcast feed. If you're listening to this there, I encourage you to subscribe to this new show at feeds.feedburner.com slash kickinthecast. And now, without further ado, here's chapter 6 of Outcast. Outcast A novel, written and read by Chris Fitzton. Chapter 6 The night they led me to the dwelling, my youthful respect and admiration for the Chatelier wavered. That polished image I had of them as noble representatives of clan life suddenly tarnished. It left me feeling sick to my stomach that an institution most cubs my age dream of joining was little more than a collection of thugs. Granted, the clans considered exiles as trash, but did that automatically erase the memories of friendships or something more intimate? Were exiles so hated that they deserved not even a shred of decency? The sextet of goons were strangers to me, but I did have some older friends in the Chatelier's ranks. Shiana's older brother, Byrek, had just joined the Order before the Kamal over a year ago. I remember how excited he'd been that he'd passed his trials. Shiana had been over the moon at the news, and I remember Grandfather saying how this would be a huge boost for their clan's status. What if he'd been there that night? Hells. What if it had been his leg I'd bitten? I had a lot of questions, and by nightfall, I had my answers. I remember waking up that second morning and feeling lazy. I still ached from both the attack and the intense cleaning of the dwelling, but it was tolerable. The Sampar oil from the day before had done wonders on my chest wound. It was tender, but I can move more confidently now without risking opening it. I was hungry, but a food caplet would take care of that. Overall, it was the best morning I'd had in what felt like forever. I moved towards the door, and once outside, the brightness of the morning surrounded me. The sun was warm, and the air was thick with the scents of morning dew, rich soil, and all the other smells that lure one into the forest. I breathed it in deeply, feeling for the first time in two days glad to be alive. As I chewed a food caplet, I returned to the berry bushes I'd found the day before. I picked a couple of handfuls and munched them down, the semi-ripe sourness still there. I winced. Whatever the Foundation was serving for a hot meal, I hoped it would be filling enough to get me through the rest of the day. I made my way back over to the stream and, kneeling, I stuck my head in. I came up for air after about a minute, wiping the sleep from my eyes before shaking as vigorously as I could. Now I felt completely refreshed, and as I smoothed out my fur, I headed back to my dwelling to dress and get moving. 
Getting to Junktown would take a good couple of hours from here at a brisk pace, so the sooner I got moving, the more daylight I'd have for the trip back. There was no real boundary for Kerala City, save a signpost that shows the city limits. There was no profound change in the landscape or anything like that. You simply continued to walk or drive, and eventually you found yourself in the middle of it all. Junktown was much the same thing, with one exception. No greenery. The ground was toxic, thanks to the application of a barrage of defoliant chemicals. It was a permanent effect, and the only way to reverse it was to dig up at least two meters of ground and replace it. During the height of the industrial times, this place was a marvel of modern technology, where flora and fauna had no real place. Now, it just looked like a post-war wasteland. Completely desolate and dead. As I approached the outskirts of the place, my heartbeat began to quicken. My eyes started darting about, trying to get a visual drop on anyone before they tried to rush me. I also tried to stay as calm as possible. Everything I knew about Junktown back then was solely based on stories and rumors. How bad could it be? The further I got into the area, the more the answer to that question revealed itself. My whiskers stretched forwards and I could sense their gazes upon me. Everywhere I looked, I caught glimpses of faces peering out of their hiding places to look at me, only to disappear after a moment. They were curious, but also fearful of me. I looked down again at the map the Foundation left me and verified the location of their place. It was a warehouse located near the center of this area, which meant a possible gauntlet for me to walk through. I started thinking about the training I'd had under my father before my attack, and how I might be able to use it to my benefit. I then realized I hadn't trained that way in over a year. Common sense told me it would be better to avoid trouble rather than go looking for it. The problem with that was, trouble came looking for me. At first I didn't notice, but soon my whiskers were screaming at me that something wasn't right. I continued to look around as I walked and started to notice that I wasn't alone. Six or seven of them, I couldn't really tell at the time, were stalking me. They kept mostly out of sight, but occasionally when I looked back quickly, I could see them moving for cover to avoid my eyes. Obviously, I quickened my pace. They must have noticed, because soon after, I found myself surrounded by them. Sure enough, there were seven of them, all armed with crude weapons, and based on the looks on their muzzles, they knew how to use them and use them well. Their apparent leader stood before me. He was a cheetah by lineage, though the scars on his muzzle made it impossible for me to determine his, if any, clan heritage. He held a savage-looking machete in his right hand, and he wore a spiked gauntlet on his left. Of those that stood around me, his weapons seemed to be the least primitive, and I guessed he must have earned them somehow. I took a small step back from him and he smiled, showing me that his left fang was silver in color. Was it a cap, or a complete replacement? Well, 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 he sneered. Look at what we got here, guys. Fresh meat, the others guffawed at his comment. Must be one of them foundation cubs, jeered one of the others. He's too soft to be anything else. Only one way to find out, said the cheetah. Check him for the creds. Two of the others made a grab for me, and on reflex I tried to move away. It didn't help much, and soon they were checking me from head to toe for the credit shit I'd been given. 
the one I'd hidden in the woodpile just this morning prior to coming. He's clean, said one of the others, a lean-looking lion. No chit, no nothing. Too bad, said the cheetah. For you. He leveled his machete at me. If you'd had the creds on you, meant you were in exile, something for which I could cut you a little slack. But now? Without warning, he reared back with his machete and came down in a killing stroke. Instinct took over and I dropped, bringing my foot around in a sweeping motion that caught the cheetah about mid-shin. I was expecting a grunt or some other shocked sound when I hit him, but I was amazed to hear him scream. I had no real time to dwell on what I'd done. The moment I stood up, I took off like a shot in the direction of the warehouse. The cheetah was screaming orders, and soon the rest of his goons were after me. Despite the added power my legs now had, as well as my enhanced cardiovascular system, I could feel them drawing closer with each step. Thankfully, the warehouse for which I'd been looking came into view. Knowing I was that close spurred me onward, forcing me to dig down and push myself even further. My attention focused on reaching those doors and bursting through. I suspected that whatever or whoever was behind them would be deterrent enough for these paklas chasing me. I never heard the whistling of the bolas as they hissed through the air towards me. I barely registered them wrapping around my legs until I was falling towards the ground. I skidded a good six feet or so on my stomach, tearing my freshly healed gash in a few places. I flailed maniacally, trying to drag myself the rest of the way to the warehouse. Two of my pursuers stopped me by landing on top of me. They hoisted me up, the lion from before hooking my arms with his in a full Nelson hold. One of the other pursuers, another cheetah, snarled at me. You busted my brother's leg, he accused. That would explain the scream. And for that, you're gonna pay. I wish I could explain it, but the second I heard the cheetah's knife begin to clear its sheath, the same thing that had happened with the Chatelier happened again. All the fear, rage, and instinct inside me just exploded. I brought my arms down to my sides, not only breaking the lion's grip on me, but also breaking his arms. As he screamed, he fell back and I fell forward, twisting my body to avoid the cheetah's knife. The moment I hit the ground, I rolled onto my back, striking out with my hand and catching the cheetah's knee. I felt a satisfying crunch and heard his screams as he too went down. He forgot all about his knife as he clutched his now useless knee. Despite my little victory, I knew that there were at least four more of these paklas around, and I fully expected them to swarm me at a moment's notice. Yet, when I looked back at them, they were all just standing there, stock still and stone-faced. I was confused. I mean, these guys had me dead to rights. Why not come down on me with a full dose of retribution for what I'd done? Sure, I'd probably break an arm or two before they finally took me out, but that was no reason to be so fearful. That was when I heard the distinct sound of a shotgun cocking, and I realized it wasn't me they were afraid of. I looked behind me and saw two of the absolute largest Bengalans I'd ever laid eyes on. They both wore what looked like business suits, and both were packing shotguns. Like my pursuers, the ease with which these two handled those guns told me they'd used them before. The one closest to me, a Black Panther, leveled his weapon at those still standing and snarled. Grab your boyfriends and clear off, 
he said. His voice was barely above a whisper, but upon uttering that command, they stooped to drag their injured cohorts back to wherever they came from. I felt relieved until that same panther pointed the barrel of his gun at my head. You better have a damn good reason for being here, kid, he said in that same tone. Otherwise. So someone gave me the map, I said. The map to this place. I was shaking now. There's something about facing down the barrel of a gun that suddenly deflates a person. Just mere centimeters from my head was a weapon that could send my soul screaming to the afterlife in less than a heartbeat, and the person wielding it looked as ready to shoot me as he was to help me up. I heard something about some fresh meat coming, said the other, a burly-looking bobcat. This might be him. The panther seemed to relax. Makes sense, he said. He moved the gun away from my face and pulled out a knife. I flinched at first until I saw him beginning to cut the bowl off my legs. The blade was sharp and the bonds were at the strongest, so I was free in mere moments. The panther helped me to my feet, and together the three of us walked the few remaining meters to the warehouse. Despite the complications, I'd made it. I can't begin to tell you how heartbreaking it was to see what I saw. People of all ages, genders, and lineages packed the warehouse. Row after row of tables occupied roughly half of the floor area, while beyond them lay several rows of cots and mats. Initially, I found that strange until I remembered that only the followers of Kayan constructed a dwelling for their exiles. I felt for the first time relieved that I at least had that luxury. My two escorts remained by the door as I continued. Many faces turned upwards to look at me, and many of the gazes I met were blank, resigned. It was as if all they were thinking was, oh great, here comes another one. In truth, I probably would have thought the same thing had I been in exile for longer than two days. Kinda overwhelming, ain't it? I turned and saw that an elderly cougar had come up beside me. I was a bit taken aback when I saw his muzzle. Some of his scars were deep enough that his fur had refused to grow back in those places. He looked like he'd been through all seven hells and had come out alive. Yeah, I know, he said with a smirk. My mug ain't the best looking these days. You get this way after living around here for a while. You live in Junktown? I asked, surprised. If you call running from the gang of the day living, then I guess you could say that, he said. Name's Cyrus, he stuck out his hand. Uh, Dallin, I said, nervously taking his hand and shaking it. Well then, uh, Dallin, he said with that smirk. What brings you here? New to the game, are you? I nodded sheepishly. Eh, don't worry about it, he said. Folks here ain't as bad as you might think. Hell, some of them are downright friendly once you get to know them. He put his hand on my shoulder. Come on, kiddo, he said. Let's get something to eat and we can talk, all right? Uh, sure, I said. We made our way to a part of the warehouse that served as a crude but effective kitchen. We got in line and the smell of everything there made my mouth water and my stomach growl loudly. Cyrus could only chuckle. Been a while since you ate something substantial, he asked. Two days, I answered. Two days, he said. Not bad, kid. Most folks coming through that door have been without food for a week or more. 
Half the time they're dragged in here half dead and begging for anything. He nodded over towards the cots I'd seen earlier. At least half those folks over here came here that way. So many, I said softly. The clans were by no means a minority in Bengalan society, but the amount of exiles in this one place beggared belief. They're not all from round here, Cyrus said. A lot of them come from places a lot more dangerous to exiles. Even here it's not easy, but at least there's a chance at living, he shook his head. We save who we can, but we can't save everyone. Can't save? You mean... Cyrus merely nodded his head. I shuddered at the thought of someone making it here, only to die mere meters from the very food and shelter that could save them. That's terrible, I said. Like I said, you can't save them all, Cyrus said with a heavy shrug. Not everyone makes it here in the first place. Most times they never make it through Junktown in one piece, he looked at me. It looked like you took a tumble or two getting here yourself. I looked down and then realized how bloody I was. Where my wound had opened didn't hurt too badly, but it had bled enough that once it all dried it would pull on my fur something fierce. I told Cyrus about my little encounter with the cheetah and his crew, which made the old cougar chuckle again. About time someone set that gas straight, he said. By this time we'd made it to the servers, who dished up what was a feast compared to what I'd eaten for the past two days. A huge bowl of thick and hearty stew, a couple of dinner rolls, and a carafe of water graced each of our trays. I thanked the servers with a smile and a small bow before turning to catch up with Cyrus. Now where... ah, here we go, he said. I followed his gaze through the maze of people and tables and saw a couple of seats open in the middle of the group. I followed his lead and soon we were both seated, myself in between a lion and jaguar, and he between a lynx and a female cougar, from whom I had a hard time tearing my gaze. She wore a black leather jacket, under which was an off-white colored shirt, which left plenty to the imagination. Her face bore an expression that seemed neutral, but had an undertone of either disinterest or contempt. Three silver hoops graced her left ear, and her eyes shone like two amber jewels in the warehouse light. Take a hollow pick, she snapped without looking at me. It'll last longer. Sorry, I mumbled, looking back down at the food. It smelled divine, and I dug in eagerly. The stew tasted as good as it smelled, and I had to force myself not to eat too quickly. After two days of living on berries and food caplets, having a meal like this would be nothing short of a shock to the system. As I ate, I stole the odd glance across the table at the female cougar. I noticed the hand holding her spoon as she ate was shaking slightly. My first thought was that she was a junkie in need of a fix. At least, that's all I could assume, based on what I used to watch on the telescreen at night. They could also explain why she was so irritable. So, said Cyrus, snapping me out of my thoughts. Feeling a bit better? I nodded, setting my spoon down and taking a sip of water. That was the best meal I've had in a year. The female cougar scoffed at my remark. It was true, though. Everything you've heard about hospital food? All true. So, what's your story? He asked me. I gave him a quick rundown of the events leading up to my exile, including the slash my father had bestowed upon my chest. I looked down and grimaced at the dried blood on my fur. I was beginning to wonder if it would ever heal properly. Not at the rate I was going, it seemed. 
They get some clothes over that way, he said, pointing towards one of the corners of the warehouse. All donated by charities and such. Not much, but they might have something in your size. I looked over and noticed several racks, all filled with shirts, jackets, and pants of nearly every shape, size, and color. Like the doorway, a pair of large mangalans guarded the collection. I guessed they were there to make sure no one tried to take more than their fair share. So now what? I asked. Cyrus looked at me, his head cocked at that inquisitive sort of angle. I mean, where do I go from here? Good question, kid, he replied. Better question would be, where do you want to go from here? He was right. The choice was mine and mine alone, what I did from now on. The only one responsible for my life now was me. I could choose to retreat to my dwelling and live out my days, or do something more productive. There was no pressure either way, save for how I would feel about it. I want to do something more than just come here every day for a bowl of stew, I said. I want to do something useful. I knew it was a loaded statement the second it came out of my mouth. Hells, for all I knew, Cyrus was a talent scout for the underworld, luring in innocents like me who were looking for more than just a free lunch. It took a few moments, but soon Cyrus's grin came back, and he nodded. In order for you to work, he said, you're going to need a few things. A new ID, for one. And you're going to have to do a bit of reinventing on your personality. It won't be easy at first, kid. You sure you want to go through with it? I nodded. Grandfather always said it was better to earn your keep rather than have it handed to you. I heard the female cougar scoffed again, so I turned to her. Problem? I asked. What's the point? she asked. Go through all that trouble, and for what? You think anyone's going to stick up for you if you found out? Maybe you haven't heard, but the non-clan think we're garbage too. You slip up, and you're as good as dead, so why risk it? So what then? I asked. This girl was starting to piss me off. Spend my days feeling sorry for myself, then trudging down here day after day for a handout? What kind of life is that? You think you're better than the rest of us? She waved a hand around at the assembled people, some of whom are beginning to take notice. You know how many of us tried, only to wind up here in the end? Like it or not, kid, you're one of us now. Better get used to it. So that's it, then, I said sharply. Just because you and everyone else here has given up, I should give up too, eh? Now hold on, said Cyrus, raising his hands in a bid for calm. Sure. A lot of folks who did try to make it on their own. It ain't easy, and she's right. You will have to watch your back and make sure no one's the wiser. She's also right in that the non-clan folks don't look too kindly on us either. But at least they ain't gonna kill you on sight because of some oath. If Cyrus had been the only one to speak, I would have considered his words a lot more. All facets of Bengalan society, clan-born or otherwise, hated exiles. If I did slip up, there would be consequences. That alone would have made me rethink my intentions, but that bitch cougar just had to go and spot her opinions on all this. I'll take that chance, I said, staring at her defiantly. She was about to say something when we heard several gasps fill the air. People turned their heads toward the warehouse entrance, and I followed suit. What I saw there was the beginning of a nightmare that haunts me to this day. Six figures entered the warehouse, dressed in the combat attire of the Chatelier. 
Three of them had their swords drawn, two of them keeping the panther and bobcat guards at bay. The other four moved past them, a black panther at their lead. Of course, a Rondoki. To be honest, I don't really remember the lineages of the others save one. He was bringing up the rear, holding what looked like a rope in his hand. I'd recognize that white tiger anywhere. It was Byrak Nache, my friend. My nightmare didn't spring from the fact that Arondoki had led a group of the clan honor guard to the warehouse. Nor was it that one of them was a friend of mine. No. The nightmare began when I saw what Byrak had on the other end of that rope. It began when I saw the children. And that's our story. This was around the time I started getting the stink eye from my beta reader, since she had an idea of what was coming. Listeners to the older version of Outcast might notice a few changes between then and now. As I said, when I first started posting these new chapters, I've made a few changes here and there to help fill out the story a bit more. More changes will be coming, and if you're a returning listener, I hope you like what I've done with it. Writing was a bit of a grind again this week. I focused more on editing and working on story flow this time around, so in terms of an actual word count, there's really not much I can say this week. I'm hoping that by next week I'll be able to show some tangible improvements. Another thing I did this week was put some work into a website for voiceover slash voice acting. Recently, I've been looking to get into the market, mostly to see if I can actually do it. My last job got me thinking that I might be able to market my voice for things like marketing videos or maybe even commercials. I'll put a link to the site in the show notes, which is a bit of a digital resume where I've placed links to the videos I've voiced as well as a few demo reels I recently recorded. As I get better, I'll be updating those reels so they all don't sound the same. So that's going to be it for me for this week. As always, I invite you to subscribe to the show at feeds.feedbrunner.com slash kickinthecast. And if you'd like to leave some feedback, you can email me at outcastnovel at gmail.com or leave a voice message via SpeakPipe at the show's website at kickit.yo5.ca. So until next time, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and above all, have a good week. This is Chris, signing out. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to The Kick in the Cast, the audio blog of a wannabe podcast novelist. For more information, please visit the show's website at kickit.yo5.ca. And to leave any feedback, please feel free to drop an email at outcastnovel at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and hope to see you next time.